Well, we uh, started last week um, a look at the names of God and how important the names of God are because they give us the characters of God. They tell us something about God that we can hold on to, and the name is very, very important. Um, I was thinking about this as I'm thinking about the name we're going to be looking at today, and, and uh, I kind of came up with a question, I just want you to think about this. Um, I'm sure everyone here has had a time when they held on to a promise. And that promise might be for some time that you held on to a promise. You know, maybe, you know, when you went to college, you held on to the promise that, hey, eventually, you know, whatever, in four years, six years, whatever it might be, that you're going to graduate, you're going to go out and be able to get a job, you know, get a home and kind of start your life. You hold on to that promise. Or maybe it's an engagement promise. You know, you've been given a ring and the promise of a wedding day and, you know, you, you just look forward, you know, for six months, nine months to that day when you would get married. Uh, you know, or, or maybe as a couple when they, they, you know, suddenly they're pregnant and they have that promise of a due date, you know, and, 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 and you know, as, as that comes closer and closer, the anticipation of the promise of a child. You know, it's the hope of that promise that we hold on to that makes all the trials and the perseverance all, all kind of worth it. And they kind of help us in the midst of, of, of those trials. Matter of fact, uh, in, in John chapter 16, verse 21, it says this. It says, whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a, a child has been born into the world. Isn't that the truth? I, I don't personally know that. Uh, but I'm assuming the ladies do that. You know, I mean, it, it's tough, you know, uh, labor. But when it's over and you hold that child in your arm, you're not even thinking about, you know, the last, you know, 10 hours or whatever it might be. You're thinking about that child. And, 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 I, and that verse came to my mind. And, and it's interesting. Do you know what context that verse was given in? It wasn't just to talk about pregnancy. Matter of fact, that, that's really kind of just a side type of a thing. The context of this, Christ is, is encouraging his disciples just before his crucifixion, encouraging them about the pain, the grief, the suffering that they're going to be going through, you know, at the crucifixion, at the loss of Christ, but promising them when the, when the day comes that he returns, for that he resurrects, that all of that is going to be different. The resurrection, breaks, or the, resurrection the fulfillment of that promise is going to make all the suffering seem like nothing. Well, most of the promises that you and I hold on to, you know, in, in, in this world at least, you know, they're, they're relatively short, you know, nine months or, you know, a year or four years, and, you know, by your lifespan that might, you know, be kind of short. So most of the promises are pretty short, unless you're a Christian. You see, as a Christian, we have been given promises from God that are not going to be fulfilled in our life until we leave this world, until we pass on and we go to meet Jesus. Many of the promises, most of the promises that we are living for as Christians are something that come after our death. And our whole lives, you know, that our whole lives are lived. We change our whole life, the pattern of our lives because of the promises that God has given us, that God has made to us. The promise of having our sins forgiven the promises of one day t turning our, our tears to, to joy. 
He promises us peace, sinless perfection. We get to talk about heaven and eternity, what it's going to be like. Have an eternal life, living forever in God's presence. And these are all promises that God has given to those who are his children, who have put their faith and trust through the cross in their son, Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, in, in Hebrews 11, catch this. We're given an example after example in Hebrews 11 of men and women who live their whole life by faith. And he's given us these examples, not just to kind of recount who's done it in the past, but to try and encourage you and I to live our life in faith, to, to hold on to the promises. And it says there in verse 3, it talks about these people that he's naming. He says, all these died in faith without having received the promise. In other words, in that lifetime they lived, the promises that they held on to, they never came to be in this life. All of them, they lived without receiving the promise, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on this earth, they lived their lives in faith for something that was to come. You know, something that was outside of what this world could provide. And they lived their lives for that. And friend, that, that's faith. That's faith. Now last week, we looked at our first name of God, and it was the name um, Adonai. Often it's uh, translated the word Lord. And we saw that it means supreme master. And it talked about our relationship with him and, and where he is and that he is the master and that, that we are here to serve him. Well, I kind of got thinking about this this past week, and I think, how can we truly live like that? How can I truly live that my life is, is wrapped up in God? He is my master. I do, you know, my, I do his bidding. I, my life is for him to dictate how he will use me and what he will do in my life. How can I do that? How can I serve God like that? Um, you know, and giving up and changing my life. How can we hold on to those promises for our whole life through all of the pain, all the suffering, all the discouragement that comes our way? How can you hold on to it? Well, just as important as it is for us to know God as Adonai, that he is our supreme master, we must also know God as El Shaddai. Let's put that up for you. El Shaddai. Now, this is a familiar term uh, to us. Uh, if you listen to Christian music, you know, years ago, you know, Sandy Patty, I believe, had the song El Shaddai, and a beautiful song. Well, let me give you a quick Hebrew lesson so you can understand what this word is. The E-L, the L, in the Hebrew, it means all-powerful, or it means the mighty one. And that E-L is used in a number of names of God. Um, El Elyon, you know, it's talking about mighty God, El, and then the Elyon talks about him being the exalted one. So when we use that name, we're saying it's, it's always mighty God, and then talks about the character. Elohim, you know, talks about mighty God. Elohim is creator, my creator, a declaration that we're making. Well, when we say El Shaddai, we're saying mighty God. The Shaddai means he is my supplier. He is my all-sufficient supplier of, of the promises that he has given me. It is an acknowledgement that God is almighty, that he is all-powerful, and he is able to provide what he has promised. 
And again, unfortunately, you know, in the Hebrew, Greek, and the translations, you know, we just put it as God. We don't understand the declaration is that name is being used, that we are saying he is the mighty God, and he is able to bring to pass what he has said that he will do in my life. Well, throughout the service today, I want you to consider this truth in your life. I want you to be encouraged that God is able to give you what he has promised, what he has said in his word, to truly proclaim what it says in 2 Timothy 1.12, where it says, For this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. So in Genesis chapter 17, you have the first place that God reveals himself and uses that name, El Shaddai, that we're looking at this morning. It's the very first time that he refers to himself as Almighty God, the, the promise keeper, the supplier. And it really sets the stage for God dealing with mankind through this name. As a matter of fact, in theological circles, uh, there's something called the law of first use. And that whenever the very first time God introduces something, you know, you know kind of really sets the stage for all of its use uh, from then on. So it's important for us to look at the, the very first use of the word El Shaddai. So we come to Genesis chapter 17 and verses 1 through 6. And if you'd like to, you can go ahead and turn there. But I am going to have you stand as we read Genesis chapter 17 and verses 1 through 6. It says there... As you're standing, it says there, Now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you. And you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you. And the kings will come forth from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants. We'll stop there. You can go ahead and be seated. Well, if you know your Bible at all, and particularly the book of Genesis, you know that this is not Abraham's first encounter with God. Um, way back in, in chapter 12 of Genesis, that's where God called, uh, at that time, his name was Abram, called Abram and told him to, to move into the land of Canaan. And then a few chapters later in chapter 15, he promises to make Abram into this mighty nation. It says in chapter 15, verses 4 through 6, let me just read those. He says, Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from my own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars. If you are able to count them, and he said to them, So shall your descendants be. Then he believed the Lord, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Well, let's get the timeline here. Um, again, I, I have to confess to you, you know, uh, back in the patriarchs, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they lived longer than we did. 
you know, they live 130, 150 years, 170 years. And so it's kind of hard to put this totally in context of what is happening here. Um, because way back in chapter 12, when God first came to Abraham, he is 75 years old when God's called him to move to, to the land of Canaan. So the 75 is different maybe than our 75 to say, hey, I, I want you up into moving. Um, by the time you get to chapter 15, where God comes and speaks to Abram again, he is now about 86 years old. And God is promising to give him a son. You know, give, once again, to give him an heir and to, to bring great kings up and, and make nations out of his descendants. By the time you get to chapter 17, he is now 99 years old. Okay? This is 13 years after God gave him a promise of an heir. 13 years he has waited. 13 years he has held on to this promise that God has given him. 13 years, again, not understanding how you know, their bodies reacted differently than we do now, but evidently in that 13 years, that hit put him in the category of too old to reproduce. And certainly it put his wife, who was going to be 90 years old, in that age of, of too old to be you know, able to, to have a child and for this promise to be fulfilled. And I've often wondered, and I, I, I'm betting you have too if you've read this story, of why did God wait so long? Why did he wait so long to move in, in Abraham's life? You know, I wonder that because... I think it's probably the same wondering that we have sometimes with God's working with us. As he, he leads us to do something or, or he gives us a promise and we're holding on to it. And sometimes wonder, God, why don't you move? Why don't you do something? You know, why is your timing always for us to, to wait upon you? Well, it's in this context that God first reveals his name, El Shaddai. And the use of God calling himself El Shaddai at that moment, the very first time, I think it gives us a clue to the answer of sometimes why God waits. Okay, verse 1, he said this, verse 17. says, now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram, and he said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. So there it is, right there, God's first use, use of the word El Shaddai. You know, God steps into Abraham's life at a time when the shine of this promise that he'd given him is faded. It was 13 years ago. I mean, how long can you live for something? And then he, it put him in that category of humanly impossible to happen. God waited until that time to step into his life and say, never forget, I am the almighty supplier. I am the promise keeper, God. No matter what, you know, the world says, no matter what your circumstances say, I am the almighty provider, all-sufficient provider. And then he goes on, and kind of interesting, he tells Abraham to walk. He says, now walk before me blameless. Now, we read that word blameless, and, and we, we think about, you know, sinlessly perfect or walk before me moral. That's not really what the word means here. Um, that word blameless is the Hebrew word tamen. And when it's used to describe, it, it's often used to describe the animal sacrifices that were brought to the Lord. And when it uses that word tamen, tamen 
it means without blemish. You know, uh, the, the sacrifices were supposed to be, you know, perfect, without blemish, not broken legs, you know, not, not cast off animals. They were supposed to be without blemish, the very, the very best. So when it's used of animals, it's, it's without blemish. But when it's used of men and women, that word tamen, it actually means wholehearted. And so he is telling Abram here, he is saying, walk before me, wholehearted, not half-hearted. You may not understand it. It might not seem humanly impossible for you. But he said, Abram, I want you to walk before me at all times wholehearted, even though you don't understand what's going on. And then he goes on in verse 2, and he says, I will establish my covenant between me and you. I will multiply you exceedingly. He uses that word covenant there. Um, You know, a covenant is when God makes a promise to somebody, a promise in his word. And there's actually, in the Bible, there's two sorts of covenants. There's conditional covenants and unconditional covenants. You know, a conditional covenant, uh, he made some of those to the people of Israel. If you do this, if you walk humbly before me, if you do this, then I will do this, and I will prosper you or do whatever it was. You know, those are conditioned. It, we, they, the people who are given the promise had a part in, in making sure that it would come to be. But then God often gives us unconditional promises. He makes unconditional covenants with us. Well, this promise that he gave to Abraham is unconditional. God says, this is what I'm going to do. Even when Abraham's faith struggled and it wavered, even when he tried to take matters into his own hands, and when his wife suggested he take her handmaid and and raise up an heir, you know, uh, uh, you know, Hagar and, and Ishmael came from that. Even when, when he gave in to those wrong actions, God says, it doesn't matter. I'm going to keep my promise to you. I'm going to do this, Abraham. Even, even when you and I are struggling in our faith or maybe struggling in our obedience, it doesn't change when God gives us a covenant promise of something that he's going to do. He says in verse 6 and 7, he says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generation for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. This was an unconditional promise that God made to Abram and to his offspring. It's a reminder to us of El Shaddai, that word, that our God is a covenant keeping God. He is a promise keeping God. And his desire is for you and I to walk before him wholehearted. Wholehearted before God. Not half-hearted, not not wavering in our faith, but holding on to the promise and to the God of that promise that he has given us. I mean, I think what God is trying to teach Abraham here through this is the same thing that he wants to teach you and I through our times of waiting, sometimes through our long times of waiting. And this is it. This is what I think God wants to teach him. He wants to teach him, he wants to teach you and I to look to God, not to just look at our circumstances. I mean, Abraham was looking at his circumstances. His faith was kind of wavering, struggling. He even tried to take matters into his own hands to force the point and to make it happen. You know, surely God, you know, bless my efforts to make this happen. And it wasn't happening. But God... 
God challenges him with his name is, don't look at your circumstances. Look at God. Look at me. I am the promise-keeping God. And hold on to that with your faith. When everything else looks impossible, when you, 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 you're, you've been holding on to it, your knuckles are white. He says, look to me. That's, a, that's encouragement to Abraham here. In Romans chapter 4, verse 19 through 21, I'll go ahead and put these verses up here for you. It says, without becoming weak in faith, and it's talking about Abraham here, it says he contemplated his own body. In other words, you know, of that man, he's past childbearing ages, it's been such a long time. His own body, now as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet, with respect to the promises of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but he grew strong in his faith, giving glory to God. And be fully assured that God had promised he was also able to perform. Friends, that's faith. To hold on to what God has promised to know that he is able to perform. No matter what the circumstances of your life are. You don't have to understand. I don't have to understand how God is going to bring about that promises that he has given me, that he has given you. But I need to hold on to God because he is the promise-keeping God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It says, By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. This was the, what the wait was all about. To come to a place in our life to, to consider God, not our circumstances. To hold on to God, not not what's happening, you know, from our moment-to-moment, day-to-day situation. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10, it says this. It says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and is safe. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and is safe. You see, the... The name of God is important because behind that name stands power, might, and and truth, and knowledge. I was thinking about this this past weekend, and just in the New Testament, you know, thinking about Jesus Christ. Remember remember when the soldiers came to the Garden of Gethsemane just before the crucifixion to arrest Jesus? You know, and, and they're there, you know, and, you know, who are you looking for? We're looking for, for Jesus. Remember when Jesus identified himself by that name? He said, I am he. When he identified himself with that name, we don't know why, but suddenly the, the soldier just mysteriously fell back at the name that Jesus identified. Philippians chapter 2, verse 10 and 11 says, so at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, it's a powerful name. When God gave Abraham his unconditional promises, it says in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13, it says, for when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. I mean, think about the name. I swear by my name. God put 
all of himself into his name. He said, I swear to you by that, that I will keep that promise, that I will keep that, that covenant that I have made with you. Our God is a promise keeper. And that knowledge is supposed to strengthen us. It's supposed to encourage us. Because life on side, this side of eternity, it's, it's a struggle. It's difficult. It was for Abram. But God told him, told him to be wholehearted, fully committed, holding on to the promises. We read earlier in 2 Timothy 1.12, it says, For this reason, I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. For I know who I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Do you believe that? Are you able to look at your God regardless of what's going on in your life right now and to be able to say, you know, I'm not ashamed. I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. Are you able to do that? Are you holding on to the promises of God today? Now, I need to say, you know, if there is anybody here who is really searching and they're not sure that they are really a child of God, I mean, obviously, something's happening in your life that you're here for a reason. God is, has, has moved you to come here and to be here. So something is certain in your life. If you're not sure... And even that, maybe you've been religious in the past. Maybe you've even been to church. Maybe you've been to this church for quite a long time, but you are not sure that you have that personal relationship with him. Let me give you a promise that God gives. He says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He uses his name to guarantee to you when you come to him, when you confess yourself a sinner and you ask Jesus to forgive you of sins, to become your Lord and Savior, that you shall be saved. I saw earlier this week, I think on Facebook, you know, talked about, I think it was talking in the context of people waiting, you know, that, hey, I got to get some things straightened out in my life before I come to God. You know, I've got all these sins and I want to get it taken care of before I come to God. You know, he said that, does, that makes as much sense as saying, I have to wait until I stop bleeding to go to the emergency ward, you know. But that's how we do as people. God wants us to come as we are because of how we are. For him to be able to forgive you, and to restore you. And he gives his name to stand behind that. That if you call upon his name, you shall be saved. Have you done that today? Acts 4.12 says this. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. It is that name of Jesus Christ. There is no other name. There is no other derivative of his name. It is the name Jesus Christ. He and he alone is the one that is our hope. And, you know, in, in just a moment, I'm going to pray. And, I, and, and, you know, if you'd like, I want to pray for you. If you want to pray along with me to accept Christ as your Savior, you know, to, to hold on to that promise, to give yourself to that promise that is backed by the name of Jesus. I want to help to lead you to there. And then I'd love to talk to you after the service if, if you do that. I, I'd like to answer any questions you might have. 
But then for Christians that are here, I want to leave you with a, a promise. It's from Romans chapter 8, verse 32. It says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for all, us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? That's a promise that God gives me as a Christian. And he uses them and said, if, if God didn't even, you know, spare his son or say, no, I don't want you to do that. They're not worth it. If God didn't spare his son but gave himself for all of us, if God gave us that, how will he not give us all the other things that he has promised us? And I want to leave you with that for this week. I don't know what's coming this week for you. I don't know what struggles. I don't know what highs or lows are going to be out there. I don't know things that maybe you're bearing and that you came into this service here with today. But our answer for us as Christians is to hold on to the promises of God. To look at our God, not look at our circumstances. And understand who God is. That he is the promise keeper. He is the covenant keeper. And he gives us unconditional promises of things that he's doing and he is moving in our life to bring about these truths. Let's go ahead and pray, and then our worship team is going to lead us, and then I will uh, close this in prayer one more time. Father, I, I ask you right now to begin to work in hearts. Lord, show us, Lord, that whether we bear, truly bear your name as Christian, that we are one of yours. Father, we don't, we don't want to fall short. We don't want to be one that cries, Lord, Lord, look at, you know, this and that. But forget, you know, that, that relationship part, that commitment part. God, if there are any here today that are opening their heart to you, Lord, you know, I, I pray for them as they say, Lord, I am a sinner. You know what my sin is. Father, you know the specifics of all that that means, my heart, my attitudes, my actions. And God, right now, I'm giving that all up for you. I'm giving that to the cross. And I'm laying it before the feet of Jesus. And I am trusting that when he died on the cross and he said, it is finished, that he paid the debt for my sin. God, I want that in my life. I want to be your child. And claim that promise of your resurrection. You are the first fruits guaranteeing, Lord, what is to come. Thank you, God. Thank you for anyone who has prayed that in their heart here today. And Lord, I, I want to pray for my other brothers and sisters in Christ that are here. Lord, you know this, this side of eternity is wrought with a lot of questions in our minds, a lot of struggles. But God, I thank you that in the midst of this, you reveal your character and who you are. Father, that may be enough for me now to know that one day that you will bring about all the things that you have promised in your name. And I pray that that will lift our spirits this week, remind us of this, whatever is ahead of us this week. Thank you, God. Thank you for your love, for your patience, for your perseverance with us.